modest, stylish women who embody the essence of Islam. This is Cover Mode. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to today's episode of Cover Mode. I'm your host, Rashan Isaacs. Today we interview young women who are making a positive and inspiring impact in the community and more so, our youth. Shamima Kalia is a successful young entrepreneur and leader who has experience in running her own business as well as holding leadership positions in community organizations. Shamima was born in South Africa and moved to Australia when she was 18. Now, at 33 years old, she's building her legacy in the young Western Australian Muslim community. Shamima, co-founder of Muslim Youth Western Australia in 2005, when she was only 23, used her volunteer experience to turn her passion into a reality and has been instrumental in establishing My Muslim My let me get this right, Western Australia, as one of the most influential organizations for young WA Muslims. She's worked extensively with young people and women from diverse backgrounds. She's been on the board of leading organizations in the Muslim community and currently sits on the board of the Islamic Council of Western Australia and Muslim Youth WA and the Muslim Women's Support Center. She has been on the board of the Ethnic Communities Council as both Women's and Youth Vice President, as well as on the Ethnic Youth Advisory Group through the Office of Multicultural Interests. She has been part of the Women's Advisory Council to the Minister for Women's Affairs and on the board of the Australian Communications Consumer Action Network for two years. Shamima has presented keynote presentations at both professional and educational conferences. Shamima was selected to participate in the Australian Futures Direction Forum and deemed someone that would shape Australia's future in the coming years. Wow. She's also participated in Issues Deliberation Australia's debate on Muslims in Australia and has sat on the Human Rights and Equal Opportunities Advisory Group for the Community Arts and Culture Initiative for Muslim Australians. Shamima is an alumni member of Leadership Australia and completed the Young Women's Leadership Program. Shamima is a director of the Al-Imdad Foundation Australia, an international aid organization. She has experience in the field of emergency relief, refugee crisis and aid distribution. As I said, born in South Africa but currently residing in Australia, she enjoys travel and is a keen, has a keen interest in modest fashion and design. I'm completely blown away by this young achiever. Joining us online from Australia, or she's currently in Durban at the moment, I, I believe, we welcome on cover mode Shamima Kalia. Assalamu alaikum, Shamima. Wa alaikum assalam wa Thank you so much for having me on your show. Pleasure. And oh, quite a lot of accolades to your name, I must say, at such a young age. It's so beautiful and inspiring. Shamima, what inspired you to become active, uh, actively and, and positively contributing to the Australian Muslim community? I think there's a couple of things that were instrumental in me getting involved in becoming active. I come from a family who has a very long history against the struggle in, uh, the apartheid struggle in South Africa. Um, my mum's brother is Dr. Anwar Negia, who I'm sure 
most of your listeners would be familiar with who, you know, was really instrumental in the fight for District 6. And I think that sense of justice and fighting for equality has been in um, my family for a very long time, and I think that inspiration has always been there. And so that, I think, was quite instrumental. And then moving to Australia at a young age, I was 18, not long after that, September 11th happened, and the landscape of Australia changed, and Muslim youth were definitely um, in the limelight. And I felt like I had a responsibility to kind of help them get through a struggle that I myself was facing at the time. And you started the Muslim Youth Western Australia. How was the Muslim Youth Western Australia organization welcomed by the young? I think it came in at a time where, as a community, we actually are a very small Muslim community in, in Perth. Mm-hmm. Um, we're now about fifty to 60,000 Muslims, so it is quite small. Um, it, it actually came at a really good time when there wasn't really any, it wasn't a place, and it wasn't a home for young Muslims to kind of gather around. So when we started up Muslim Youth WA, it kind of gave young people a place to go to, a place where they felt like they were at home and a place that they could call their own. And I think it was received quite well, yeah. And can you paint that picture of the youth in Australia? Yeah, so we're very diverse in terms of um, geographically. We come from lots of different countries around the world, but we all kind of call Australia home. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Muslim population is quite a young population as well. So a lot of the young people have been born there, but then obviously their parents are from different countries. So we're looking at maybe first generation, and we're now starting to see the third generation of um, Muslims in the country. So it is, I think diversity is the one thing that encapsulates us all. Uh, but at the end of the day, the thing that unites us is the fact that we are all Muslim. And coming from South Africa, you must have perfectly fitted into that whole diverse community. Yeah, I must admit, initially it was, it was a challenge. It was hard to adjust. I was not very happy about migrating. I had just finished um, my matric here in South Africa, and I had my life and my friends to go somewhere uh, that I didn't actually know what I was going to expect was, was the challenge. But it didn't take long for it to actually feel like home. There's people from all over the world, and we all kind of come together, and, and there's something quite beautiful about that. Beautiful. What is your long-term objectives? Because um, you seem to keep growing and inspiring those around you, and it seems like you aspire to inspire. So what is your long-term objectives? I think there's a lot of objectives, and they keep changing. Um, <laughs> I think one of the main things that, for me, I am, I'm inspired by young people, and I think that's my greatest inspiration. And if I can contribute and do things and give things back to them, then that's where my focus actually is. I think in Australia we're going through um, a period of where we're actually looking at identity and what it actually means to be Australian. With all of that cultural melting pot that comes together, we've got, you know, being Australian. And I think our young people are in in a unique way. And I think in some ways it's a lot like South Africa. You also have melding identities that come Mm. together. There's your culture, there's your religion, then there's your country, then your parents and where they come from. So there's a lot of different identities. And I think getting to that place where... We can wear all of these different caps, but yet at the end of the day, we're still Australian. And for our young people to be able to feel like they are part of the society and to give back to that society and to build our country up using all of those different identities, and I think that's where we're going to see success. So I would love to be a part of that and a part of that journey. So I think that is definitely part Mm -hmm. of my long-term goals. You say you're inspired by the youth. What, What part of the young inspires you? I think that they have so much to give. 
they uh, are so passionate about so many different things. And I think at the end of the day, the future lies with them. If we don't give them everything, that's all of the tools that they need to make the world a better place, the world's not going to improve. We need to invest in young people for the world to actually change. And the world needs to change. We're at a point, I think, where we need to start getting more positive. We can, we have all of the resources to make the world a better place. It's now time to do that. And the only way we can do that is to invest in young people. Mm-hmm. And you can see that when you invest in them, the results are almost immediate. It's not like older people where you feel, as soon as you give a young person the tools that they need to actually be successful, they take it and they run with it. So you can see that success coming in. It's, it's so easy to see that turnover. And I think that's what's inspirational about it. They're so driven and they have so much zest for wanting to achieve more. And, you know, you remind me of uh, one of my favorite quotes, which is, children are the living messages we send to a future unknown. Mm-hmm. And that alone, you know, just pushes us to want to give them those the right messages um, so that we know there's the hope for the future and that they're building a positive society. Absolutely. How important is the development of our youth? I think you touched on it slightly. Sorry. Oh, sorry, sorry, you touched on it slightly, but um, maybe you can give us some more detail on that. I think it's essential because I think at the end of the day, they, they're going to hold a legacy. Whatever we invest now is the product that we're going to see in the generations to come. So if we don't start, you know, someone who's grown up through in South Africa and have the history that we have, we can see that when we invested in people, people fought really hard to get to South Africa where it is today. And South Africa still has a long way to go, and I think that's in every country. So to be able to do that, they're the future, it, it, it's essential. We actually, if we don't inspire young people with what's good and what's correct, and if we don't get them where we need them to be, then we don't have that hope. We can't see, we're not going to see a change. Someone invested, there was passion. You know, you look at the Nelson mm-hmm. Mandela's of the world, and, and there was passion there, and they believed in it. And, you know, people believed in it. So we need to be able to build our young people up. We can't keep knocking them down. We can't keep giving them the negative and telling them we need to build them up. We need to look at education. We need to give them those essentials so that they can change the world. If they don't have the tools, there's, just, there's no hope. And we can't live in a world that's no hope. So this is, this is where it's at. Young people is where it's at. <laughs> We're talking to Shamima Kalia. She's a successful young entrepreneur and leader in her community. Feel free to call us on 021-442-3530 or SMS on 47913. I'll repeat those numbers. You may call us on 021-442-3530 or SMS on 47913 if you wish to contribute. We're talking to Shamima Kalia. Shamima, what is your most memorable experience during your community and, and social development work? Yes, that's yes. a difficult one. Because <laughs> I'm sure there's does, many. It does change. Um, and there's different, there's different experiences. I must say that a lot of it is, is, is quite memorable. Young people can be quite funny. Um, I think the most memorable thing in the last couple of years, I've done a lot more in terms of uh, international aid. And one of the memories that kind of stand out is actually visiting an orphanage in Turkey. Uh, which is the Khan Orphanage that the Alimdad um, Foundation runs. And just seeing, we, we walked into the orphanage and there were a lot of young kids there. There's about 20 to 25 uh, kids who live in the orphanage. There's one little girl, she had short blonde hair, 
and big blue eyes. Her name was Memuna, and she was about two years old. And this little girl was just, didn't want to play with anyone. She did her own thing. She really walked around like she owned the place, and every other kid there knew that she owned the place. But she was adorable. She used to come to any of us. She was playing with her toys. Mm-hmm. And we eventually was playing with the rest of the kids, and we were doing some artwork. And one of the kids got really upset because someone took away his, his crayon and started to cry. Oh. And all of these kids, who are very young, no one was over the age of maybe nine or ten, rushed to his side to try and wipe away his tears. They stopped what they were doing. These are kids that, that are playing, that didn't really need to bother, but yet they all rushed to his side. And that alone was just amazing to see. But this little girl came through the crowd, and she pushed away all of these kids and kind of wiped away his tears and hugged him. And it was amazing to see that a two-year-old child had the instinct of a mother. Wow. And that was actually her, her, her older brother, who was probably about five years old. Mm-hmm. And both of them had lost their parents, and they were orphans. And to see that that instinct came naturally, no one had to tell her that. And she thought that she needed to comfort him, and she needed to make it better. And seeing that was just... I think it left us all speechless because it was a reminder of that natural instinct that comes out, but a reminder of where this future generation is going to go to. At two years old, this little Syrian girl knew that she had to mother him. She was a grown-up in so many ways. And it was a reminder that that's a responsibility on all of us in the world, whether the child is here in South Africa, whether it's our own or halfway across the world, we have a responsibility to protect those children. And there was so much that I took out of that, that care and that love and how they all just come together and they do for each other. It was a lesson for us in our everyday lives of how we need to behave and also a message for us of how we need to continue and what we need to do for the world yet. So I think that was a really defining moment for me. A heart-rendering moment, I'm sure. Absolutely. Shamima, we're going to take a break and maybe you can touch on the tales of, I think it was Syrian Tales um, and the exhibition that you've been doing around the world as well, um, just after the break. Graceful, modest, stylish women who embody the essence of Islam. This is Cover Mode. Welcome back to Cover Mode. We're on the line with Shamima Kalia. She's been inspired by young people and their passion and zest for life and believes that the future lies in our youth, as most of us do. Shamima, we were talking about the tales of Syria. You have an exhibition that travels. You mind telling us more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So Tales of Children and, and the Syrian story came about um, one day. I've got a friend who works with me with, with young people, and her name is Hamida Nabatovic, and she's a curator by profession. And we were talking, we, we saw a photo of um, a young Syrian child who was, was crying and, and really upset, and uh, someone was talking about it, and, and it, was, it was quite upsetting. And what we were talking about was my experience going to visit Syria. So I went through Jordan and then Turkey and then Syria with Alim Dad Foundation, and we went to different distribution points and, and, and projects that we run over there. One of the things that strike you is every time you visit any of the centers, the, the, the amount of young people that are there. And I'm talking about real like children. 
And whenever you, you come in the carpool, they rush towards you and they kind of swarm you. And it's, it's beautiful. They're lovely, young, smiling children. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they give you the most amazing hugs. And even though sometimes you don't understand the language, you know, it, it, you can communicate with them. And it's, it's actually just communicating through feelings, which is, is really beautiful. And what strikes me is that these kids have been through so much. Most of them are actually born in the war, and they don't know any, anything else. They're born in a refugee camp, and they within those confines for the last four years of their lives, and that's all they know. Yeah. But yet they're smiling children, and they're just children. When you talk to them, they talk about their dreams of becoming doctors and lawyers and, and pharmacists and teachers and and they have all of these dreams, and, and they're just like any other young kid, no matter where they are. And no matter what they're going through, you, you really are struck by the fact that they are still kids. Grown-up kids in some way, but kids. And sometimes we tell these stories, and, and we go to these places and aid missions, and, and we take these photos because we need to show our donors the work that we're doing. And, and, and I think sometimes you can actually forget the human behind there. Mm-hmm. You forget the human that you're taking the photo of. And that's something that I've tried to maintain and be quite conscious of in terms of when we do go. We always talk about, um, you know, we've got a CEO who's, you know, Alhamdulillah, he always reminds us that at the end of the day when we do this kind of work, it's not, we're not doing it. We're not helping someone. We're just the means through which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses. That's all you actually are in it. And, and you need to remember that when you're doing that. And you need to remember human dignity. And more than actually going and just handing out food, mm-hmm. it's sitting there with someone and connecting with them on a human level. And that is our responsibility as aid organizations. It's not just to hand out food. Anyone can do that. But it's about connecting to another human being and saying, I care. Mm-hmm. I love you. I'm here as your brother and your sister. And that is a lot more important than just food and aid and shelter, which are essentials, and we need to remember that. And so connecting with kids when we go over is actually quite important. It's really beautiful. But as soon as they see your camera, they're like, like take my blah, 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 come and take my photo. And they all kind of, kind of come around you, and everyone wants their photo to be taken, and then they want to see the photo, and it's, it's really lovely. And we, I, I brought back uh, heaps of photos of the most beautiful children and the most it's just so honest and it's so real. And a lot of my friends, when I came back, showed the photos. And Hamida said to me, you know, why don't we do something with this? Because I always speak about the fact that it can't just be about, oh, shame, the poor Syrians are going through this. Let me, mm-hmm. let me just give some money towards it. It needs to be more. Yes, that's our responsibility. And it's a responsibility as global citizens for all of us to try and aid wherever we can. But it's also our responsibility to care for those children and their future. They can't be born in war and stay that way. There needs to be a future for them, and that's what we all need to be focusing on. When we give, we need to give with the fact that we know that one day these kids need to have a life. They can't just live in refugee camps for years. And so Tales of Children was really born out of that. And it's to tell that story in a positive light. It's to show the human beings behind the war. They're not just refugees. They were people like you and I. They're children like you and I. They have the same dreams that we have. They want the same kind of future. And I think as Muslims and as global citizens, it's our duty to be part of that journey. It's our duty to extend our hands to say, let's do this together. It's not just about handing out aid. It's not just about giving it, giving it out. It's about taking hands and moving together. 
And I think that that's something that I learned in my very first aid trip. Um, we had a chef from Sydney with us. And we were talking about just the simple act of when you're giving children lollies <laughs> when you go there. Yeah. You don't actually take it from your hand and put it into their hand. You never do that. You hold your hand out and you let them take it from you. And it was something that at the time didn't really strike me, as we were, but as we were driving out, I really thought about what he was saying. And I think it was really important to understand that it's not giving. It's, it's, it's a simple thing. It's, it's quite symbolic, actually. But you don't actually make people beg it. You don't make him take it from you. These people didn't ask to be in that situation. And you should never feel like you are the one who's helping them and you're the one who's doing it. You really need to take yourself out of the equation and look at it as as your brother and your sister and your family. And it's about doing it together and giving them that power to actually take it from you. And I think that mindset is really important that when we go in and we give aid, that we need to look at the bigger picture. It's not just the emergencies that, emergency aid that we give. It's a lot more. We need to build these kids up. And it's the same thing that we do in our own communities and societies is what we need to do there. You don't just give aid. You know, we were talking about giving everything then. If you give aid, you give education, you build women up. We make sure that in every containerized village, we have a vocational center where we're teaching women skills. So when this is over, they have something to live by. You don't make people dead. It's, it's that same concept of, you know, you teach a man to fish. Mm-hmm. You don't just give it to him. And, and that's something that we need to keep reminding ourselves and be conscious of. And I think Tales tells that story really well. And it's been received, you know, amazingly in Australia, and I think it'll be like that throughout the world because... Yeah, we're waiting for it to come to South Africa. Yes, well, I think you've got Humaira on your show, and (laughs) hopefully we'll handball that to her and hope that she takes it on and and brings it to South Africa. Inshallah. Humaira, Humaira. I'm looking at Humaira, yeah, which is is our next guest. (laughs) Shamima, you have given me so many inspiring messages and shared that with our listeners. What quote do you live by? Be the change that you want to see. Be the my That's grandfather taught me that. Kamara is shouting on the side here. Yeah. Her mic isn't even on yet. <laughs> and she said, what did you say, Humaira? That's my quote. <laughs> she says you stole her quote. I think she's got it from me. I'm the older <laughs> cousin. I think she's got it from me. <laughs> Share with us some tips on achieving success in all you do. I think the most important thing that you can do is to keep revisiting your intention. It's, uh, you know, it's something when I when I started out Muslim UWA uh, many years ago, my dad said to me, you know, there's going to be a lot of tests and trials along the way. You have to, it's going to be really easy to just get caught up in all of it and forget why you started this. Mm-hmm. And you've got to keep looking at your intention. And I think that's the best advice that I can give anyone else is to keep revisiting your intention and ask yourself, what is my purpose on earth? And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, our purpose on earth is, is really to get closer to our creator it's to, to know God and to understand God and, and to feel that love and to love God and to serve Him. And service is where it's at. At the end of the day, when you serve God's creation, then you serve, you serve God. And I think when you keep looking and revisiting your intention and you think, well, Allah, be happy with what I'm doing. Is, does this fit in with what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would have wanted for me on earth? And if it's yes, then you continue to do it. And I think if it's no, then you need to leave it behind. And I think that's the best advice that I can give anyone. And you've just got to keep going. Also just to live life purposefully, right? Absolutely. Shukran Shamima, you are an inspiration to young and old. May you continue Thank to you so s- much for having me on your show. <laughs> and may you continue to soar to new heights and gain success in all you do, inshallah, because it's only going to benefit the greater mm-hmm. community. 
Shukran so much, Shamima. I, I, maybe Humaira wants to give you a message over the airwaves? <laughs> Thank you so much, Shamima, for coming on. And we're so proud of you. I finally have that person I can now look up to. And um, may you keep on succeeding and going further, inshallah. Ameen. And you are my role model. <laughs> I know I'm your role model, <laughs> but I am inspired as much as you, by you as you're inspired by me. Oh, mashallah. And Shuk- South Africa is very lucky to have you. Oh, thank oh. you. And you were born in South Africa, so you still belong to us as much as the rest of the world. <laughs> Shukran so much for joining us, Shamima. We will chat again in future, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum. Beyond fulfilling the basic responsibilities in Islam, young Muslims are expected above all to play an important role in the advancement of Islam. And extracted from the opposingviews.com, some of those responsibilities is to establish good habits. Within the Muslim community, it is believed that youth is the most important period of life. This is the time in which opinions, habits and beliefs are formed and it is important for the time to be spent in personal development. For example, Muslim youth should develop the habit of praying five times per day as he or she will will do in adulthood right until the day that they die. Seeking guidance from the older or from the wise and nowadays there's there's our young brethren who are also really learning and uh, upskilling themselves in their knowledge. And avoiding temptation. In this way, the Muslim youth will begin adulthood as a spiritually strong individual able to serve as a role model for other young people. You've already heard Humaira's voice on the side. And she's here to talk to us about Pink Hijab Day. But what is Pink Hijab Day and what is required of us on this day? Humaira Jassat, founder of the Pink Hijab Day in South Africa, joins us next. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Thank you so much, Rashan, for having me on air. And thank you to the Cape Town community for hosting me once more in your beautiful town. Homera was wonderfully welcomed here by the Voice of the Cape with a, some nice, a nice spread. Yeah. <laughs> and the cupcakes were all pink. Everything was all pink. And it was absolutely delicious. You really do know how to put on a show, hey? <laughs> just to give a bit of background on Homera. Homera just said, won the 2010 African Leadership Academy Innovation Prize for her Pink Hijab Day initiative at the age of 20. Humaira created the Breast Cancer Awareness Pink Hijab Day campaign to raise awareness about breast cancer and to encourage clearer understanding of Muslim women. Humaira, what is Pink Hijab Day? So Pink Hijab Day took off when I was um, in grade 11 and I went to Azadville Muslim School. I am from Johannesburg. Um, During the time, my mom's sister was diagnosed with breast cancer, and um, what I found was lots of women in my community had passed away as well because of breast cancer. But nobody really told me about anything to do with breast cancer at school. We didn't learn anything. I did know very vaguely about the pink ribbon, but that was it. Mm -hmm. I just felt as a young woman, I needed to know more. We're five women in my own home, my mom and we four sisters. And um, why was everything being swept under the carpet with regards to breast cancer? Is it something we should be ashamed of? Mm -hmm. And growing up in the 21st century, being a young Muslim female, I felt that we needed to break down these barriers. We needed to open up and sit down and discuss crucial things that was going to affect us. I'm talking five years back. Mm -hmm. Um, I was not in the same space that I am now. 
And that's when I took it upon myself. I said, if a young woman in America could do this, handle Buri, what is holding back me, Humaira, a young South African woman who's ready to take on this challenge? And um, I felt that uh, during the time of apartheid, well, they used the term strike a woman, strike a rock. Yeah. So the woman is such a powerful tool in a community, in a society. Without a woman, there's no family. Mm-hmm. So why can't a Muslim woman... Um, Done a pinky job in commemoration and awareness of breast cancer awareness, and to commemorate all those suffer uh, those suffering from breast cancer as well as the survivors. So um, I wanted Muslim women to take the stance and say we can do this, and that's exactly what it turned out to be. Thousands of Muslim women across South Africa done the hijab, and not only Muslim women. I had non-Muslim women, Christians, uh, who many other women of different walks of life who came forward and said. We're wearing a bandana. We're wearing a... Wow. A, well, no, it was just a pink thing on their head, on their neck. They wore all the hijab in different ways. And um, it also brought about a lot of dialogue with regards to the hijab. Because um, in Western media and society, um, Muslim women are constantly being portrayed in the negative. Mm-hmm. You look so beautiful sitting across me with a pink hijab, with a hijab on. <laughs> but um, the moment you go step into the Western media, they'll say, oh, she's so oppressed. Little do they know, beautiful Rushan is a whole lot of amazing things. <laughs> so that's just one of the ideas that um, why pink hijab came about in South Africa. It was a lot to do with um, commemorating those that are uh, breast cancer and uh, standing in support of the survivors Mm -hmm. because the survivors always tell me we are alone when we have uh, mouth sores when we go through our chemo we feel so alone Mm -hmm. nobody's there for us nobody knows what we're going through so this is just a small plight and when you've done your pinky job the point was uh, sit down for a few minutes and say a little prayer for all those battling breast cancer. May Allah uh, grant them shifa. And um, that's what Pinky Job Day came about. And it was such a huge success amongst um, women from across South Africa. It was schools, madrasas, universities, the corporates who all took on this. You must have been so overwhelmed with the, with the response. It was so Did, like... Is uh, it what you expected? No, I didn't. I least expected it to go so big. And I le- you know, after the first year, I didn't expect to continue it. And I was like, okay, it's a once-off thing. And um, a few weeks later, after the first Pinky Job Day, there was... Um, one story that comes to mind, there was a Jewish... Before you um, carry on with that story, because I'm sure it's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll take a short break and then we'll continue with Humaira Jassad. Graceful, modest, stylish women who embody the essence of Islam. This is Cover Mode. We're speaking to Humaira Jasset, and uh, she studies at journalism. I don't know if you're done yet. Are you still studying journalism? <laughs> no, I actually am a chop and changer. So, uh, so she's a chop and changer who was studying journalism yes. <laughs> at Varsity College and hosts a radio show, Women's Weekly, on Radio Islam, focusing on women's rights and empowerment. And today she's talking to us about the Pink Hijab Day. You're about to render a story. Oh, yes, yes. (laughs) So, before I render the story, I am a chopping changer. I completed my Bachelor of Arts degree at the University of Johannesburg uh, in political science. So, don't worry, I'm no fancy politician. (laughs) I've just graduated, so I'm still scoping around to see what I really want to do in life. 
But I guess through experiences, we finally choose what we we want and who we want and so forth. So um, back to the story. And I I always thought I was never going to do Pinky Job Day again after the first year. But there was a Jewish old, old woman that gave me a call. And she said that it was on her day of chemotherapy. She was uh, driving with her driver back to, I think it was an old age home mm-hmm. or a caregiver center or something. And she felt so alone that day. She said that she had undergone chemotherapy. She's lost all the hair in her head. She was just frustrated. She was upset. She was lonely, completely lonely because... Uh, she had nobody to say, I'm sorry for what happened. I know what you're going through. And um, the driver was changing radio stations, and there they heard me, 17, 18-year-old Humaira, screaming across the radio about how thousands of Muslim women had done a hijab, a pink hijab, in support of breast cancer survivors and sufferers. And uh, she said she was shocked. She said it broke her down because she hated Muslims because of all the political trouble. <laughs> she said she regarded Muslim women as naive and stupid and uneducated and all of those things. And here, thousands of Muslim women, me and you, dear sisters, mm-hmm. who wore this pink hijab. And uh, she then phoned me later on and she sponsored some pink hijabs. And wow. it had changed her entire perspective. And my dua always, from the day one of starting this campaign was, Oh Allah, if you don't change an entire community and everybody around with regards to the hijab, with curing them, mm-hmm. at least one person, let pink hijab day have an effect on one person out, out of the thousands of people, it would be a difference to my life. And there, that one person it was. It was this Jewish woman. And because of the political trouble, I think we all know that um, there's a lot of, um, you could say, stigmas around. Yeah, I was going to say, a lot yeah. of people have that of, of um, Muslims in general. Yes. And then when they see Muslim women, they don't really think about educated Muslim women exactly. or that, you know, we, we achieve so much in society as well. So what is required of us? to do on on what are we required to do on pink hijab day so basically if you look at it we have one more day left which is tomorrow mm-hmm. so on Wednesday, the 28th mm-hmm. of october i want all muslim women across south africa to don a pink hijab in support of breast cancer uh, the the pink ribbon still stays in place for the entire month of october but the pink hijab we need to bring along uh, uh, our dialogue on the hijab mm-hmm. We need to raise these facts. What is pink hijab day? What is the hijab? What is breast cancer? Why are you wearing your pink hijab? And I want you in your in your offices, schools, workplaces, wherever you are, engage in your uh, with your colleagues, your teachers, friends. Tell them about the hijab. Tell them what is pink hijab day. Talk about breast cancer. Bring along that dialogue because it, nobody is alien to breast cancer. Uh, and on the topic of breast cancer, Halima Fish is the breast cancer coordinator for Khrutiskir Hospital. And as the breast cancer coordinator, she coordinates the care of the person diagnosed with benign or malignant disease. If it's malignant, Halima meets with the patient as early as possible after initial diagnosis to make sure that the complete journey is coordinated and they progress through the multi-tiered system is focused on patient centricity, which is exactly what we're trying to achieve, is that it's about, you know, the the cancer sufferer. Patients with benign breast disease has a contact with um, and resource person to coordinate their care through the follow-up breast clinic and the Department of Radiology, mammography. 
And uh, Hadija liaises with all the different areas and services the patient may encounter and come into contact with. Patients can refer back to her if they need to, um, to ensure that the supportive and informational needs are seen to, making Khadija Fish a resourceful person for all patients, families, communities and staff. She also plays an integral role in the breast multidisciplinary team and liaises directly with surgeons, radiation oncologists, social workers and other allied health workers to ensure that patient centricity. Outreach is another aspect of Khadija's portfolio. Um, Homera, she's created a number of educational informational tools which are, are you know, patient-friendly and available to patients. And we have some of that here. And it's it's about the myths of, of breast, breast cancer, myths and facts of breast, breast cancer. Blah, I can't even get the word right here. <laughs> and one of the myths is antiperspirants or deodorant causes breast cancer. So the fact is... Several studies have been conducted on the link between antiperspirants or deodorants and breast cancer, and to date there is no conclusive evidence that they increase your risk of breast cancer. Some deodorants contain aluminium. You may be advised not to wear deodorant containing aluminium when you go for a mammogram. This is because it could show up on the mammogram images and may lead to an inaccurate result by making breast cancers and other abnormalities harder to detect. If you are concerned about the ingredients in your personal care products, follow the precautionary principle, use simpler products and read the label. Homera, you have one there. I have about, yeah, so the myth is, <laughs> sorry, um, the myth is men don't get breast cancer, and this is one I keep on emphasizing. It doesn't only affect women, but back to a quick point that I forgot to mention is, why did I choose women to wear a pink hijab? Mm-hmm. Because I wanted to show, we let's, let's, women, when they unite, they can fight against something, and I thought it was a united uh, plight for a great cause. And but let's not forget our men. They are also involved mm-hmm. because um, the myth is men don't get breast cancer. But the fact is men have breast and can develop breast cancer. The risk, however, is very low with less than 1% of all breast cancer cases. But despite the small number of cases, breast cancer in men is not very well understood. It's always stigmatized and maybe misdiagnosed or diagnosed at a later stage. And men and women are encouraged to be breast aware and discuss any unusual changes in their breast with their doctor. And that's very, very important. Any slight, I do always, um, whenever I attend functions, show that I'm not a qualified doctor, nurse or anything, (laughs) but what I do show the woman is how to do their breast checks. Mm -hmm. And I emphasize anything you find out of the ordinary, a small lump, pimple, anything, go to your doctor immediately. Rather be safe than sorry. Very useful and resourceful information. We're going to continue with Humaira after the break and, um, and talk more about the Pink Hijab Day. Graceful, modest, stylish women who embody the essence of Islam. This is Cover Mode. Assalamu alaikum. Yes, welcome back to Cover Mode with me, Rashan Isaacs. I'm speaking to Sh- uh, uh, Sh- I'm going back to Shamima again, Humaira Jassas, and we're talking about the Pink Hijab Day and Cancer Awareness. Humaira, we've touched on a large number of subjects. What lessons should we take after Pink Hijab Day? The first thing I always say is education is key. Awareness is key. 
um, with education and awareness, it saves you from a whole lot. That's why, um, especially in the townships, I talk about this because I do visit the townships very often with um, doing breast bra um, bra collections and I distribute them to underprivileged women and so forth. Um, let's skip out all the myths, um, which we already mentioned. Men don't get breast cancer. Mm-hmm. Wearing an underwire bra uh, causes breast cancer. Simple things like that. Get your facts all in place so you know where you stand. Education and do your breast checks. That's very important with regards to breast cancer. With regards to um, the hijab, um, living in a very uh, diverse uh, society, I think we are very fortunate that uh, the hijab has brought about good dialogue. And um, let's bring about more positive dialogues at schools, at the at the workplace, universities. Let's have open discussions on who is a Muslim, what what does it take to wear the hijab, why do we wear the hijab, and um, with from my side, just with pink hijab day, that's what. I could say, but um, what's important, what I take out of, pink, of the whole Pink Hijab Day campaign is, it started off when I was a young girl. I'm currently 24 <laughs> years old, so um, I'm still young, but um, I was in school. So my urge is to all youth out there, even if you're in school, a madrasa, or university, let's take it upon us to make a positive change. It doesn't cost anything. It costs a little bit of your time, and the impact is great, and the rewards will be reaped forever. So don't let us lose our youth by not participating in things that could help others. Bring a smile to somebody's face. Do some charity. Um, spend your days. The environment, um, doing, doing environmental changes, Clearing the litter up, whatever it is, that's just my idea. But you could go forward and start your own campaign. Don't lose your your youth, as your youth is very important. And like my cousin Shamima said, um, your youth is your fountain where you're ready to take off anything you want to take. And we have that drive. We South African youth have that drive to want to take on um, any challenge that will come our way. And we can face it and beat it. Mm -hmm. So... Like fees must fall. <laughs> so um, yeah, but um, that's my advice for all the youth. Come if, forward. If we haven't to. mentioned it before. Pink hijab day is on the 28th of October. That's this Wednesday. So we're asking everyone to wear their pink hijab on that day. But what is happening leading up to that day, Umera? So join me with your pink hijab uh, on tomorrow morning at Masjid Al Quds, and I'm looking forward to see you. Bring on your Vibe selves, your pink hijabs, pink lipstick. That's nine, nine, nine o'clock, right? Yeah, around nine, I think. Um, so that's at Masjid Al-Quds tomorrow morning, which is the regular Masjid Al-Quds program. But we just have a few additional activities planned for the day. So join us in spend your morning while we chat about Pink Hijab Day and about breast cancer. And I'm sure Pink Drive is there as well doing the breast checks. So why not come through? I'm looking forward to meet you. Cape Townian community. Humaira oh. Shukran for joining me in studio today and telling us more about Pink Hijab Day and Cancer Awareness. Assalamu alaikum to you. Wa alaikum salam. Thank you so much for having me. Afwan. Join us on Pink Hijab Day this Wednesday by wearing your pink hijab. Tell your friends and family. For those of you joining us at VOC's Pink Hijab Day event on Wednesday morning at Alhambra, tickets to be purchased. I, I believe, in fact, the tickets are sold out. 
I'll be hosting a fashion show with clothes by Aisha Ali, Human Image, and Nawal Keat, Tanzanite Couture. Makeup will be done by Frazana, Richards of Zana Makeup and Style, and scarves are sponsored by Coulson Raycliffe of the Scarf Company. Guests will also be treated to a scarf styling demonstration by me, and our guest year on cover mode, Humaira Jassad, is the guest speaker at the event as well. For those joining us for a lovely morning of female bonding, I look forward to meeting you then. Assalamu alaikum.